Live from the rooftop of the Herman London Real Estate Group in beautiful downtown Maplewood, it's the St. Louis Realtor Podcast with your host, Adam Cruz. Welcome, welcome everybody to the St. Louis Realtor Podcast, live from the rooftop of the Herman London Real Estate Group in beautiful downtown Maplewood, Missouri. Today is October 18th. This is our 28th podcast. we got some very special guests with us today. And uh, first of all, we're going to talk. Oh, I'll just introduce you guys first, I guess. We've got Martina Johnson from St. Louis Realtors. And your official title is? I'm officially the Government Affairs Director here at St. Louis Realtors. Government Affairs Director. Wow. Okay, great. And Mr. Simon, everyone knows Matt Simon. How you doing? He's kind of he's our commercial expert here at Herman London, but you're kind of also our like internal jack of go- all trades, governmental affairs, like our economist, right? Absolutely, you got to stay up on it. And we're not going to mention the haunted house though today that you that you just <laughs> there's a house listed that's a haunted house, right? Yeah, yeah. you don't want to talk about it. I don't know if the listing agent would appreciate uh, that. I'm sure she wants uh, qualified buyers coming by, not just <laughs> looky loos. Okay, great. Well, so at the first part of our podcast, we like to talk about kind of upcoming events. And so I just thought I'd mention that December 6th, we have the Herman London Company Business Planning Retreat. And uh, looks like December 8th, the St. Louis Realtors has their holiday open house party. Correct. And I've been to that the last five or six years. It's always a good time. Are all St. Louis Association of Realtor members welcome? Absolutely. Everybody is invited. Uh, We open up our offices and it's usually open bar, free food. um, And usually there's a couple holiday vendors that you can buy uh, Christmas gifts and stuff like that there. So it's a great chance to get to meet everybody in your industry and people from different companies and affiliate members and network. And there's always kind of the leaders of our industry are there and it's you can kind of hobnob and meet them. And uh, I, I love going to those types of events because I get a chance to meet the leaders of the industry, but also kind of some of the other high performing realtors and shake their hand and talk to them and it's like nice to meet you i've done three deals with you over the years and we've never actually met face to face right so okay what other events do we have going on we have the rpac toberfest yep so rpac toberfest is actually coming up this thursday it's our last rpac event of the year and uh, well, I think we'll get into RPAC a little bit later, but RPAC is the Realtors Political Action Committee. So this is an event. Um, it's only $15 to come to this happy hour. And if you um, invest $15 into RPAC, you actually become an RPAC participant. So you count uh, as part of our pack for the year, which is a really big deal to us at the Realtors. So come on out to Kirkwood Station Brewery, 430 to 630, uh, free drink tickets, free appetizers, and you get to support a great cause that really helps your business. Okay, great. And I know when we brought our new CEO into the St. Louis Realtors about, was that two years ago or so, he was excited about this thing called the Explode Conference. That's all about technology, right? And is that right? He kind of brought that with him, didn't he? Yeah, I don't think we've ever had Explode before. Um, John Gormley came on board. And so I think this is the first time we're doing it at the association. It's at Hollywood Casino, um, I think in South County. And you do have to pre-register. It's through Eventbrite rather than through um, our website. So okay. it's not the typical IMS login that you are used to seeing at the on the Realtors website. But it um, should be a great event. There's lots of national speakers. Um, it's all focused on technology and kind of how to improve your business. And I know my ears just perked up when you said it's at the casino. Do we get breaks? Can we- <laughs> I'm now, not now, is that positive. River City or Hollywood? Because Hollywood's the old Harris out by Earth City. River, oh, River City is in South County. Maybe it's River City. Is it River City? Yeah, which think, is the nicer of the two, frankly, if I you know, have mm-hmm. an opinion on it. 
Okay, great. Any other events we need to talk about before we move into the meat of the um, conversation? Let's not forget our installation is coming up on November 10th. So that is the installation for our 2017 president. His name is Barry Upchurch with Upchurch Realty. Um, and I think this will be our 140th anniversary of St. Louis Realtors wow. uh, for 2017. So pretty awesome. We've been around actually longer than the National Association of Realtors. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. I had no idea either. You know, Barry Upchurch, is the, he's going to be the new president. He's an awesome guy. He's been pretty much every other position, I think, that you can be. He's also a CPA, and he's an attorney. And he's a successful realtor. This guy is great. I, I like talking to him. Um, okay, so we, you know, we have a kind of a lot of things that I want to talk about. And Martina, I know that you're sort of this like database of information about all things governmental affairs, rules, laws, I guess, local. You probably know a lot about each municipality's rules and laws and then up to the national stuff, right? And the big thing that we want to talk about today is this big amendment. But if, if you don't mind, I kind of wanted to open in to just sort of asking what might seem like a weird question is, why does the St. Louis Realtors employ someone like you? And what all, like, why do, you know, also sort of why do Realtors kind of quote unquote care about all of the stuff going on with the government? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, my role exists, and actually, full disclosure, I am uh, your registered lobbyist here for the St. Louis region. I focus on St. Louis City, St. Louis County, and um, various municipal jurisdictions. It just kind of depends where the issues are, um, where we have you know, different government officials that create laws that might not necessarily help the real estate business and might make it harder to see their sell homes or close deals. So uh, that's really my focus is I'll advocate on behalf of reasonable sign ordinances, on behalf of reasonable inspection ordinances, um, occupancy permits, anything that really would affect your business as a realtor. We are working to make sure that the government and you know municipal codes are not in the way and prohibiting you from being able to sell a home. So you're a lobbyist. Correct. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. You get to tell your parents that. What? Eh, <laughs> I don't know how proud they'd be. But... <laughs> okay, but so then if a municipality is coming up with some sort of rule, then you would go and like try to talk to their mayor and explain why it's a bad law, I guess? Exactly. Usually I, um, you know, I subscribe to all the different municipality. Um, they usually publish their agendas and emails, and they send it out to different groups. And so I subscribe to all those and monitor municipalities. But we do have 90 in the, just in St. Louis County alone. So it is a little bit impossible to keep on top sure. of every single one. So if you do have an issue with a spe- specific municipality, please call me at the association. Our general number is 314-576-0033. Call and ask for me and report the problem. And then I can go ahead and start working on it because there's no way for me to know absolutely everything that happens in the St. Louis area. But I do try to stay on top of it. Um, And so then I'll go in, talk to the city council, talk to their planning and zoning or whoever, you know, is really originating the idea or the ordinance and try to understand, you know, what what are you trying to solve? Okay. Maybe this is how it will affect the real estate industry and this is how it will affect our members. Is there any way that we can compromise or negotiate to get a win-win for both the city officials and uh, for the real estate industry? Just kind of making sure that they keep other perspectives in mind, I guess. Oh, correct. And so this stuff doesn't just help realtors. I guess in theory, we're helping realtors, which in turn helps the community, like with keeping yeah, the American dream alive, right? Yeah, consumers. 
so they can buy houses and make it keep it affordable to home for home ownership and that kind of thing. Yeah, we. I mean, we work for obviously realtors are our members or any realtor affiliate of the association. Um, a lot of issues we have are rental property issues as well as people are investors in addition to realtors. Um, but we, you know, are looking to make sure that home ownership remains affordable and attainable for everyone that desires to be an owner. Well, this is sort of political season, at least everyone's sort of political, like whatever, what would you call that needle is turned up right now because of all the presidential stuff. And, but you are also involved in what you mentioned earlier called RPAC. And I know what that is. I'm an RPAC donor, but just in generally, why should realtors give their money to help RPAC? What is it doing? Yeah, so RPAC is actually super important. So I can go in and talk to a different municipal official or with the city and the county and let them know that we have an issue with a problem. But me as just one person, that doesn't really necessarily mean a whole lot to them. They know that this is my job, that I need, you know, that I'm, of course, I'm there to go advocate on the realtor's behalf. But what does that really mean? Well, with RPAC, it's our Realtors Political Action Committee. Right now, that means that we have over 2,000 realtors who have invested into the pack. So I can go and say, we have 7,000 realtors in the St. Louis area, but 2,000 of them are so invested into these advocacy issues that they've actually put their money where their mouth is. So that's why events like RPAC-toberfest are huge for us, um, trying to get make sure that everybody has you know pitched in even a little bit, just $15 is the minimum investment level that we ask for. Um, and that allows me to um, kind of show a lot of buy-in from our membership and our region that, uh, you know, realtor issues are really important to our constituents. Um, and then our PAC, uh, what it actually does is we actually have our local PAC at the association that um, is managed by a board of trustees that are elected to those positions, and they choose um, what candidates to support in elections. So this helps us build relationships with elected officials who are open to realtor ideas, open to talking with us when we come to them and tell them that this might affect our industry or that, you know, our realtor champions and are, um, you know, great on realtor issues and, you know, pass great legislation. Okay. And depending on what you say to this next question, I might ask Joey to delete this, <laughs> but he said that, you know, like which candidates are better for the realtors, uh-huh. do we, is there a presidential candidate that is better for the realtors <laughs> at this time? Do you know? Uh, no comments. I really <laughs> can only speak to local or you statewide. You speak to more local and statewide, uh, okay. Issues. Actually, our pack is bound. We can give up to um, statewide races. So the, the highest level we can give up to is like, say, the governor's race or the state treasurer's race. Um, we actually can't give to any of our... Um, like U.S. congressmen from okay. our pack, so or senators. Okay, and so again, I I don't know if you can comment about this, especially on this podcast listened to by millions of people. But is there there in the next election? Is there other realtors kind of proponents that we should consider voting for? Well, I mean, there actually are a couple local members that are going to be new freshman members of the Missouri State Legislature that I'd be happy to tell you about. Great. One is named Eric Greyer, and he lives in um, Chesterfield, and I think he works for Duke Homes. And so Derek actually is going to be the new state rep in District, I believe it's District 100. Um, he won his re- Republican primary in August. And um, we, that's a typically a Republican strong-held seat, so we anticipate him winning his general in November. And then Gene Evans is the rep-elect, essentially, in District 99, which is sort of 
Valley Park area. And so same situation. She um, ran as a Republican in a typically Republican-held seat. So we anticipate that she will win her general election. So that's two. Um, those are two people that RPEC supported, and they you know ran their first campaigns and were successful. So that's an awesome win for the realtors to have people in office that actually know your business so well they do your right. job. I'm so. impressed that you have all this memorized, by the way. She doesn't yeah, have there's any no notes, notes the no sheets. With She's wow. straight off the top of the brain right here. Okay, let's jump into this Amendment 4. Is it called Amendment 4? Yes. And we're supposed to vote yes on Amendment 4. Yes. And so this, just tell me what it is. Yeah, so Amendment 4 is a huge initiative that was um, you know, heavily backed by Missouri Realtors. We actually went through the balloting process or petitioning process to get it on the ballot. Uh, we collected over 300,000 signatures from across the state of Missouri. And so what it actually is, is it's a constitutional amendment that will ban sales taxes on services from ever becoming a reality in Missouri. So right now you pay sales taxes on goods and products. You know, mm -hmm. you go to the mall, you go to the grocery store, right. you pay your sales tax, um, but you don't pay it on any services or labor. So why is this important to us as realtors and real estate professionals? Because essentially everything but the house is a service. Right. Think about your appraisal, think about your inspection, think about your mortgage banking services, think about your services as a realtor. Um, so um, the example we've kind of been giving is that the aggregate state and local sales tax in St. Louis County is hovering right about 9.6%. So imagine that the consumer had to pay a 9.6% sales tax on your commission as a realtor. Wow. Okay. Wow. And among other, other things. And so... Yeah, it's not just realtors that are affected here. There's other services that are greatly affected by this um, legal accounting... Yeah. Anything else that's service-based. Yeah, uh, thanks, oh my Matt. Gosh. It's absolutely, covers, you're correct, it covers absolutely everything. Um, any sort of consumer products, your haircut, manicure, yeah. you know, getting your car, car worked yeah, on. Yeah, auto work, yeah. Attorney services, CPA services, um, daycare services. Even rent could potentially be considered a service. So this is, uh, it is a broad amendment, and that's the reason for it, is that we're not looking just to protect ourselves as the real estate industry. We're looking to protect all consumers and other, you know, service-related providers. Yeah, and look out for hardworking Amer uh, Missouri families out there. So this is pretty cool. You figured out that there was someone out there who wanted to eventually try to tax services. Or I guess I read that someone's been constantly trying to make it so we take services. And you guys actually went out and got this thing on the ballot? Yep. So we, yeah, wow, that's we cool. collected like 300,000 signatures, like I said. And this is something that we do get that question a lot. You know, why a constitutional amendment? Uh, why, you know, why make such a drastic step to... To prevent something from happening and the reason is the last seven legislative sessions in the state of Missouri there has been a version of sales taxes on services introduced uh, one year a version of a bill got enough votes to get passed out of the Missouri House and had a Senate hearing so we just feel like that's too close for comfort um, there's also you know been a lot of discussion about changing our our tax system in Missouri completely mm -hmm. to have more of a fair tax which would eliminate the income tax but replace it with we're, you know, replace that revenue with more sales taxes. And so we are looking to leave our tax system the same, you know, but also protect it from ever. And from what I understand it, Missouri is not the only state that's looking at this. Illinois and Oklahoma have also passed measures um, not to prohibit, but actually to enact taxes on this on the services. So it's good that you're being proactive and 
preventing you know the legislature from going through with this yeah illinois and oklahoma have definitely looked at enacting it um north carolina and washington state have already as well they went into yeah they went into effect if you are interested you can go um google the department of revenue website for the state of north carolina or the state of washington and there's a giant matrix on their website of what is now taxable under uh their new laws so that could be a reality for missouri if amendment four doesn't pass the spreadsheets in my head are kind of like going ding, 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 because like, okay, so A, I would probably end up paying less income tax, right? Because I would pay, I would get less income or would my clients just have to pay more tax on? Well, I mean, our current amendment doesn't touch the income tax. It just prevents the sales tax from being enacted. Uh-huh. So either, you know you as a realtor would have to pay that sales tax on your commission or else you'd probably have to adjust your commission lower so that the consumer could, you know, kind of incorporate that cost. Okay. So it's not necessarily clear who would pay it, but it would have to be collected. And this big bad person or group or whatever out there that wants to do this, this terrible thing to all service people out there, what do they, how would they even know how much money their, the tax is going to be? Right? Or I mean, what they're going to do with the additional tax This could revenue. be billions of dollars. They don't. Have, how do they know how much they're even going to be getting? I mean, they don't. That's what I'm saying. This is a revenue-neutral um, you know, amendment. We don't know what it can be preventing in the future because it could be preventing an unbelievable amount of taxes from being collected on Missouri taxpayers. So um, it's really a proactive measure to make sure that sales tax, which is a regressive tax that really affect, affects the people who have the least ability to pay. Yeah, it affects low tax. and, in, and yeah. middle income families um, disproportionately. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, correct. So, you know, that's what this amendment is all about. Protect taxpayers. Um, we're not looking to tie the hands of government and make it so that they can't collect any more taxes. This actually has nothing to do with the existing sales tax on goods. They can still raise or lower that sales tax as much as they want. And it also does not prevent them from taxing new goods or products. It just prevents them from taxing services. services. Correct. So are the Realtor Political Action Committee the only ones heading this up? I mean, I would think that the attorney political action committee would be kind of working with you here or the yeah we have a huge coalition statewide uh like i said missouri realtors really did the bulk of the work with the petitioning for this amendment but we have the national federation of independent businesses i believe the trial attorneys are on board um the bankers association the haircutter alliance of america (laughs) all these people right we have a huge coalition there's about 50 members on it um locally i've talked to several chambers of commerce um, about this amendment that have been on board. I'm going to Chesterfield Chamber of Commerce tomorrow for lunch. So Good. see you there. And then, um, you know, different ward meetings and different, obviously, realtor offices to talk about the it's, amendment. It's kind of just, dis- it's like sickening to think about this because this would be my doctor, right, would have to charge me more, my attorney, yeah. who already charges me plenty. All these people, <laughs> like, right? I mean, just the small plumber or electric handyman oh, yeah. guy yeah. who comes over and, is not making tons of money. Okay. The final thing for that is just to remind people, you do need to vote yes for this amendment to prevent the tax. So that's the main co- uh, point of confusion here is that usually when taxes are introduced on a yeah, ballot, you want to vote no. Wanna vote no. Yeah. But for this, you do want to vote yes. So, you know, vote for Amendment 4 um, to prevent sales taxes on services. And when are we vo- When are we voting? November 8th. This and is so, all on November 8th. Yes, November 8th. You have to go way down on the ballot. Please come out to vote no matter what's on the top of the ticket or how you feel about it. Um, you'll have to go down past the judges to get to the amendments. 
So uh, it's really important that you, A, come out to vote, and B, fill out the entire ballot. When you voted absentee already, I did. Right? I already I voted two weeks ago. Were you able? Is this already on the? Oh, ballot? it's on there. There's a. There's about five or six amendments, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, so even if you don't like the candidates that are running, go out there and, and you know protect vote for this yourselves. Kind of stuff. Yeah, vote vote for the amendments to the Missouri Constitution. They are important, and they will affect your life if if you sit on the sidelines. Um, you know, you really can't complain if, you, if you're not out there getting out there and, and taking control of the options that are afforded you and, and the right to vote. So, Okay, well, why we have you here, there's tons of other things I want to ask you about, if you don't mind. Sure. I mean, you'll, we'll be here until 8 or 9 tonight. That's fine, <laughs> right? No problem. Um, and you're just kind of like this database of information. So I asked you a little bit about this before. I think I read an article. We do a lot of – sorry, I'm jumping around. We do a lot of property management and leasing here at Herman London. Um, I believe I read an article a few months ago that said they added a protected class. You know, for example, they already have age, sex, religion, um, marital preference or whatever. Like race. Uh, race. All yeah. those things are already protected. And they added something new called sources of income. Have you heard anything about this? Yeah. So the city passed a bill, um, I want to say maybe in 2014 or 2015, mm-hmm. um, that added sources of income to the... Uh, their city code so that you can't discriminate um, based off of, I mean, sources Source of, of income, income, which would essentially be um, housing choice vouchers or Section 8. So um, from what I understand, what that means is that you can't have a blanket policy that says, I do not accept Section 8 or I don't accept housing choice vouchers. You still should have the option to work with um, – I believe it's HUD that runs that program Mm -hmm. and they do um, a, you know, they basically how it works from what I understand is that uh, a tenant will go through their process, go through their screening and will get a certain allowable amount on their voucher. And then they go and look for um, a residence. And once they contact you, um, the landlord, then HUD has to come in and do their own inspection, occupancy inspection. Mm -hmm. And then HUD comes back and says, we'll give you X amount for this unit. So Mm -hmm. I don't think that there should be no problem with if HUD is offering less than what you want to take that unit for. It's not like you're forced to take it, but you can't say, I won't even go through the process with you just because you're Section 8. So there are some advantages and some disadvantages to taking, you know, that type of voucher. I think, you know, one clear advantage is that you know that the rent is coming every month because it's, you know, being paid by um, the voucher. But The taxpayers? Yes. <laughs> well, but, <laughs> I mean, another part is it is a little bit of um, a different process, like I said, with the occupancy and permits or, you know, the occupancy inspection and, I mean, you can tell me better than I probably would know because you actually practice whether or not I'm explaining that. Well, I don't know because we, you know, now we, I guess we accept Section 8 vouchers as income from people, but we don't currently manage any Section 8 property. So we Mm -hmm. don't really know what the process is and all that stuff. I just know a lot of our owners of the properties that we manage or a lot of owners out there in general don't necessarily want to to deal with a government program like that, you know? Mm-hmm. And so we do get people that call all the time and say, do you take section eight? And we, we say, yes, you know, of course we take section eight. We accept all sources of income. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, but I see people out there saying no, all that, all the time. Yeah. And they, get, they just don't know what the rule is. I well, guess. the rule 
unless the county has the same rule, I actually will have to check on this for you. I believe it's only in the city. Oh, it is. So uh, that's all that I know of. And I can maybe come back on a later podcast and let you know for sure. That would make Um, sense. But I think it's only in the city of St. Louis that it's been codified that way. Obviously, uh, you know, realtors, the St. Louis Association of Realtors supports um, affirmatively furthering furthering fair housing. Uh, We teach fair housing classes. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, we'd like to remain neutral and non-discriminatory as far as... You know your source of income and so, so this is going to be a really stupid question but source of income you know we we talked about the section 8 stuff but they you also couldn't say if someone says oh i'm you know i make my money off gambling right if it's legal gambling at the casino then we have to accept that too right we just oh yeah any legal income mm-hmm. we have to accept is what it's there, saying actually i think where the source of income um and this could be, I think this is what I heard, is that uh, having no discrimination against sources of income actually started in New York City where people were afraid to rent to attorneys. Really? Yeah. <laughs> they didn't so, want to get sued, huh? Yeah. 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 So, uh, you know, that's another factor. I guess if you don't like what somebody does for a living, you really can't you discriminate still have to against them, that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah, that's, I mean, we could we could go off on that topic all day long, right? I kind of a, it reminded me of a conversation I had with someone that said that a lot of like Catholic hospitals are closing down because the law was requiring them to do abortions even though they didn't believe in it or something like that. Oh. And so yeah, we could be forced to have a a criminal live there if we didn't you know, even mm-hmm. if we didn't want to deal with criminals or something. Yeah. Well, I mean, one good thing about the housing choice voucher program is that they do vet their own tenants. So that is a positive that you know, possibly has cost savings there for um, the landlord or property manager. Yeah, no, I'm not saying yeah. anything bad about Section 8. I was just curious about all other sources of income. And uh, I remembered when, didn't they? Didn't Al Capone go to jail ultimately because he didn't... Tax like, evasion. Yeah. He, not because of any of the crimes he committed, right. but Failed because pay he, taxes he on didn't the pay taxes. Right. Yeah. And so I was like, so someone could call us and be like, yeah, this is drug money, but we still have to take it? <laughs> no, because it would be illegal, right? I mean... <laughs> Sorry, my mind goes in weird places, but <laughs> okay. So, changing that subject, um, you mentioned that there's also some new HUD guidelines on background checks. Yeah, so there have been a number of new HUD guidelines in the past year. Um, there was one released in April regarding background criminal background checks and what you can or can't do, um, and there was another one actually released just in September regarding crime-free housing ordinances. So let me start with the background checks one. Um, so the big takeaways here are that, and so these are guidelines, not regulations. So HUD kind of okay. does this thing where they say, this is how we'd like you to act. This is how we'll kind of interpret it. It's a recommendation. It. Yeah. yeah. So it's not a super hard, um, you know. Law. Law. Yeah. But it is a it is a recommendation and it is a good thing to follow to minimize your HUD liability if you're a rental property manager. So uh, what they're looking for is um, to kind of eliminate blanket criminal background checks so to not have a just like you wouldn't necessarily want a policy that says we absolutely do not accept section eight you also might want to have a policy that doesn't say we absolutely don't accept any you know no criminal background okay because somebody might have you know i don't know a felony they committed when they were 18 but now they're 55 and they've had been have records of good tenancy for you know years and years and years Mm -hmm. and so that's uh you know what hud is looking to protect um 
portions of the population and protected classes through this guideline. Uh, and so what they do recommend is they recommend looking only at convictions, not at arrests. Um, and they recommend looking back no more than seven years. Um, and then um, considering other factors like mitigating circumstances, like how old were they, were they when they committed the crime? Was it a crime that had to do with the nature of like the property? Um, okay. You know, et cetera. So they're not saying you, you know, don't screen your tenants. They're not saying don't do criminal background checks. They're just saying come up with a policy that, you know, makes sense and is relatable to the health of the property and other residents rather than just a blanket, no, I don't accept this policy. Okay. That kind of goes along with what we do here. I would say that we don't, Herman London Property Management doesn't necessarily have any official policies in terms of who we accept or won't accept. We like to get our each owner involved in making that decision. But if we did have any policy in terms of the recommendations that we make, it would only be that the people have three times the income over what their rent is. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And with regards to those recommendations, where can realtors and brokers go to find those recommendations? So I heard this all from the National Association of Realtors. Their website is a wealth of information. It's uh, I think it's www.realtor.org. Um, so I would you know, encourage you to go on there, Google it. And I do have to preface this by saying that I am not an attorney. Please go <laughs> consult your attorney. Please don't take anything I say as legal advice. Um, but these are just general business practices. So. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you say that they're just guidelines so people can make their own decisions, but it's kind of in line with what we do. Like I say, you know, someone could have amazing credit and make $10,000 a month, but they might be an ex-murderer and you don't want them. Or they could have some small criminal history or no criminal history, but have really bad credit and low mm-hmm. income and you still don't want to take them, you know? So yeah, we have to take it on a case by case basis. Yeah. And then the other guidelines that HUD came out with um, recently have to do with crime-free housing ordinances, uh, basically saying what different municipalities need to do to be in compliant and to be able to continue to receive um, HUD funding. An example of HUD funding would be community development block grant programs. Um, so actually I was in Florissant, uh, regarding a crime free housing ordinance last week, advocating against the ordinance that they came up with. Um, the realtors had a hand in working on some of the changes to this bill, but, um, ultimately we were really disappointed with the outcome and the final passage. Um, and this is the three criminal, uh, calls within a year and they can, the investors can lose their ability to to rent the properties. Is that correct? This is how we, uh, we heard it, I believe. Correct. So they have, um, well, they've had a rental license on their, um, in their code since 1997. So they've had this type of, um, you know, if you want to rent property in Florida, you have to get a license to rent the property. They've had that for 20 years. So uh, now they're going back and making changes to the code. They're actually completely, completely repealing it and replacing it with this newer, updated, more powerful, more powerful version. And uh, the language in this ordinance says, you know, it's very burden shifting onto the landlord. The landlord landlord really shouldn't be responsible for the actions of the tenants to that degree. Um, You know, it says things like any, um, act perpetration or commission of a felony or class a misdemeanor um by the i think it says by the owner by the tenant by a guest of a tenant (laughs) on the property in the immediately surrounding area or anywhere in the city of florissant could cause a license suspension or revocation so they don't understand that they're discouraging outside investors coming in and bringing money into that and and maybe they're allowing you know uh you know because 
typically it's low to middle income people that rent. Um, but they're discouraging outside investors from coming in oh, because yeah. of the risks. Yeah, I think we, they had something where you have to live near theirs. Oh, yeah. Oh, that, that was another part of it. The, um, either the rental property owner or manager or a registered agent has to live within 50 miles. That's something that they did add after our pleading. It used to be just uh, the language said, I think, owner and, or a rental property manager. Now you can have a registered agent, which is a little bit better. But still, yeah. Still doesn't seem like can, it's constitutional. Well, you can live within 50 or outside of 50 miles. Like if you live in, I actually Googled it. If you live in like Festus, it's like 52 miles, <laughs> but you're still within an hour from Florissant. So you could still be within an hour of your property okay. if something went wrong. We pushed back on that, um, that clause of it as well. But that was in there. The other thing that was also in there that was pretty... Um, unfortunate is that it says that the utilities must be on. And so you can lose risk losing your license if uh, the tenant doesn't pay the utilities and you get a notice within 14 days. Basically they'll notice, notify you if the, if the utilities have not been paid for two months and then uh, you have 14 days to either, I guess, get your tenant to try to pay it or else pay it for them or else, you know, just try to work with the city, but you could in their language, it says you could lose your license. So, I, what's their goal here? Is it to make it so no one rents property in Florissant or I what? Think, no, I think that they are hoping to bolster their property values. And, um, you know, I think that that was, you know, their, their ultimate goal. We did explain to them and try to advocate from the association standpoint that just like uh, Matt said, you know, if you're, if this is actually instead of, instead of, Eliminating crime, which would... It's discouraging investors yeah. from coming into the marketplace. Exactly. It's making it... And also, from a tenant standpoint, uh, I mean, if you uh, suffer domestic violence dispute, are you, are you going to hesitate calling the police because you don't want to be evicted or you don't want to, the, the landlord to lose his license and then you have to go find a new place to, to live? There's all types of... Uh, issues with this and oh yeah well that's uh, actually a perfect segue into what i did just before this so the city of st louis has a public nuisance code that they uh, are suggesting edits to today i went to the public safety committee meeting um at city hall and they are adding a special carve out for victims victims of domestic violence in their public good. nuisance code and uh, making it so that you know a police call for uh, domestic violence doesn't result as a public nuisance doesn't count as a strike towards that property and also won't be um, seen as a cause for a summons or a hear a problem property hearing on that land owner or you know rental property owner so that's a i mean thank that's you. a step in the right direction yeah, so yeah. thank you to alder and woman green for sponsoring the bill um you know that's a big step in the right direction to getting that you know, at least one public nuisance code and one jurisdiction to be better for both the rental property owner and the tenant. So, so you were doing that in the city of St. Louis. They have similar stuff to what Florissant's trying to do. No, no, they've had a public most almost every uh, municipality or city has some sort of a public nuisance code where you know if you don't maintain your property or if you're um, you know, being like a, like being too loud, you can get a citation. Uh -huh. Just I mean, pretty much every city has that, yeah. but um, they can have negative effects when it ties. Um, you know, when it kind of holds the rental property owner a little bit responsible for the action of the tenant. Sometimes it can it can have negative unintended consequences. Like backfire. Matt said, yeah. that, you know, somebody could be afraid to call the police because if they call the police, then they'll be considered a nuisance property. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. So. 
Interesting. I, I'm going back to the fluorescent thing a little bit. It makes me think that you're, as the landlord, you should be going over there once a week and doing a full inspection on the property and like doing extreme background checks. And I mean, no one who wants that. The tenants don't want that. Well, you can't even do that. I mean, there's limitations on what you should be doing on background checks, like we just you know, sure. talked about with HUD. And I think the tenant is, you know, definitely do their privacy. Right to li- yeah, yeah, their right to live in the property and have privacy. So. It's just an unfortunate ordinance, and we—I mean—we're hoping to see. We'll see what happens next steps, um, whether or fluorescent will repeal part of it, or yeah, I don't, I don't think know, it's what, gonna be long until it gets happen. challenged. Frankly, I, I just—I yeah. don't see it staying. Yeah, but the um, last time we tried to challenge them, didn't it take a few years? Like, there, what, I'm sorry, I'm sort of just remembering little uh, tidbits that I hear, but we tried to challenge them, or we tried to challenge. Ferguson maybe a few years ago on some rule. Oh yeah, I mean that was actually before my time at the association. So they, we've been in a lawsuit with Ferguson over a similar rental licensing scheme for a long time. Um, honestly, I'd have to look into what the full details of those cases are in comparison to the Florissant case. Um, but we did challenge the St. Louis County rental licensing ordinance, which had some similarities to the fluorescent one. Um, the, the St. Louis County one actually mandated evictions in certain cases. And another big problem with both of these ordinances is that they don't allow for a legal due process, which is the concept that before you get your rights taken away by the government, you are allowed to have notice that that is happening to you and you are allowed to have a hearing. Um, so that's something that is not offered for either the landlord or the tenant um, in either of the St. Louis County or the fluorescent ordinances. So that alone is a huge problem because you have to... From what I understand, the ACLU is challenging that on that basis, right? ACLU is challenging um, EHOC as well, which is the Metropolitan Equal Housing Opportunity Council. Uh, They're like a tenant's advocacy uh, group. So yeah, we have a very broad coalition. Usually when the real estate side and the tenant advocacy side are on the same side of an issue that means that it's it needs to be rethought out so um we'll see what happens hopefully maybe i'll come back on next year and i'll give you an update okay yeah Yeah. wow okay and then you mentioned something about state laws on security deposits which i was already feeling good about because i think we already follow this law but what's something changed with that yeah so another change um in landlord tenant world is There was a bill that was passed in the state legislature that now requires you to hold any security deposits moving forward um, in a separate trust account. So you can't just throw it into the operational account of your business. You do have to hold that separate because it is the tenant's um, money until they until you go back through the inspection unless something, you know, is not up to par. I was aware that wasn't a law. I mean, we've been doing that since day one. Maybe. Maybe only property managers had to do it before yeah. and like property owners didn't have to do it before. Well, I don't know. All realtors are expected to do that. Like when you sell a property, you can't really hold somebody, you know, you have to have yeah, somebody sure. else's mm-hmm. money. It's an escrow. Um, yeah. yeah. An escrow. But so this is just extending that essentially to anyone who rents property. If you're a property manager or property owner, you need to make sure that you are, you know, and it's, it's a best practice in case you like you as a property manager get sued and you're into all your assets get wiped out, then you're going to get, you know, 30 small claim court suits from all your tenants. That's interesting to me because we, you know, as a property management company, we do have a separate account where we keep security deposits, mm-hmm. but we didn't, we don't necessarily require that we're the ones who hold the security deposits. We do sometimes allow the owner of the property to hold the security deposit. 
And so I wonder, you know, we should be making sure that they know mm-hmm. that they need to keep that security deposit in a separate account. Yeah. I think cause the times when they're like, oh, no, I'll hold on to it. I think they're like <laughs> spending it. Well, and then they're coming up with it later. And I would anticipate maybe next legislative session that there'll be follow-up legislation to clarify some of those things, like whether, like if the owner holds it, you know, and versus the property manager, yeah. um, or if the owner is out of state, you know, are they required to do that since it's a state law? So um, I think there's going to be some follow-up legislation I would expect in the state legislature. Okay. And so for realtors and brokers out there, what's the best way to, to keep in uh, informed on these evolving situations um, um with well, government affairs i guess the easiest thing would be obviously if you, have, if you have an issue give me a call um i do publish an article every quarter in our magazine it's called realtor report or as things like this come up i'll do a fact sheet and uh stuff like that i also um am very active on twitter if you want to follow me on and what's twitter, your twitter handle it's um it's just for work i only tweet work things so it's um at stl realtor gad so it's government affairs director so it's my work twitter i pretty much only tweet policy or occasionally if the weather is really nice and i have a pretty picture of city hall mm-hmm. i'll tweet that but it's mostly policy mostly kind of what i'm doing every day um i'll kind of you know, live tweet city council meetings, sure. bill, you know, bills we're working on, stuff like that. So um, that's probably the most up-to-date way to be invo- informed on it. We are getting a new website at St. Louis Realtors. So once we get our new web- website launched, I would anticipate that I'll start putting more content on our website. It'll be a bit more user-friendly. And if you want to get involved personally uh, with some of the causes or issues, uh, what do you recommend out there for realtors who are seeking to get involved? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I think they might have just closed committee applications, but if you're really interested, call me and email me. But we do have an advocacy committee at the association. Like I mentioned earlier, we have our own PAC committee. Uh, So these are the best ways to get involved is to serve on a committee, um, you know, and voice your opinion and how you want to get involved. Okay, so any other changes coming up? Anything going on in commercial that we should be talking about? Um, I don't have a whole lot to update on commercial. I, you know, I can tell you that tax reform is probably going to be a big issue nationally. National Association of Realtors is very committed to protecting 1031 exchanges um, and like-kind exchanges for commercial. Um, you know, I think we'll kind of keep an eye on other commercial bills, but most I haven't had a lot of commercial issues as of late. So I've been, Hey, no news is good news. We love to hear that. Yeah, no, I mean, that really is the truth in this industry. So, okay, good. Well, if you guys don't, do you have any other thing, anything else you want to say before I jump into my five questions? I ask every guest. No, I think, I think I'm, do I I need to be scared? Yeah. (laughs) Well, all right. So I'm just going to jump into my five questions. Okay. It's kind of getting to know you stuff that we do at the end. If you don't want to answer them, that's okay. But who lives under your roof? Like in my in my house in my in my apartment, I feel bad. I am actually I do actually rent. It's so like I guess it's fine. I'm I'm advocating for myself yeah. sometimes. So. We always say we help people make smart decisions in real estate. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to buy. Yeah. Right. No, in so. our gen, uh, our generation and the millennials and everything else, uh, we're seeing a larger trend in rentals uh, and renters from that. Uh, and as a property investor, I don't mind renters. No. You know? As a property management company, we're willing to work with the investors who want to t- talk with the renters. So, Okay. Yeah. So under my roof is myself and my wonderful roommate, Kelly, who is thankfully 
five foot ten so she can reach the top shelf of our cabinets <laughs> and change the light bulbs because I guess no one can tell, but I am extremely short. I think that's the only reason Molly keeps me around is to open yeah. jars and to reach things on the yeah. top shelf. Okay, so where are you your best? Oh, um, like for work? Or... Anything. Oh, I don't know. I, I, it's kind of a weird question, but I leave it sort of broad like that. So you're obviously really, you're really good, good at your job. You're pretty good on the fly answering questions about governmental affairs, I tell you. Yeah, yeah I, guess I'll, I guess I'll take that. Okay. Do you have a favorite blog or podcast that you read or listen to? Oh, I, I've already gotten in trouble because I don't listen to any podcasts. Except for so, this one. Uh, <laughs> Do you read any blogs or anything like that? Not super consistently. Well, okay, actually, I lied. I do read that next STL blog yeah, yeah, a lot. That's a great one. Yeah. I, that one's pretty good. I mean, their their stories are sometimes they jump the gun a little bit too much, and then the project, you know, people come back and say, no, that's not really happening. But uh-huh. I love that blog. I do watch that. He I was one of our. Was he like our yeah. second? But, Alex, yeah. he was like our second or third guest on the podcast. Yeah, they did a good job. Yeah, and I love the comment section of that blog. I, I pretty much love the comment section of anywhere on the internet. <laughs> I don't ever comment. I just love watching people. It's good to read to feel better about yeah. yourself. You know? <laughs> Those comments can come back to bite you, though. Just I've check never out commented on, a, on anything on the internet. Well, just check out what happened to Ken Bone. It's like yeah, don't yeah. comment on anything ever. America's sweetheart. Okay, so what's your guilty pleasure? Oh man. Um, Bravo Television. Oh yeah, for sure. So if I, I watch, talk about millionaire listing agent, you know what I'm talking yes, about? Okay, I love good. million dollar listing. I love every reality TV show on Bravo. Good. So, I'm also. You want to ask me some random questions off the fly on that? No. <laughs> yeah, that's where she's at her best. <laughs> Bravo yeah. trivia. I've been talking to people about. I, we, I was doing a training the other day, and I was bringing up stuff that happened on Millionaire Listing Los Angeles, and one of our realtors had no idea what I'm talking about. And I'm like, you need to be watching this show. Hey, I think it's kind of motivating, but it's just interesting to see how they do things. You know, it's yeah. fabricated. You understand that, correct? It's still interesting. I understand that. What do you mean it's fabricated? It's not real. Part of it has to be real. You no. don't think they're actually selling these properties? I think that uh, they're putting on a very good television show. That's a very indirect, politically correct answer. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't want to offend my wife because she loves Bravo as well, and uh-huh. we get into spouts over this one. Okay, so Martina, finally, who is your mentor, and how have you thanked them? Oh man, um, I mean, I would say actually the person who used to have my role, her name was Maureen, was very, very helpful. She's probably essential to why I do this right now, and uh, she actually left in our association to have her first uh, baby a year ago, and that's how I was lucky enough to get this opportunity. And so Maureen and I actually are live in the same neighborhood and still uh, stay in touch and. I bought That's her, cool. I guess to thank her, I mean, the most recent way, I guess I bought her daughter's adorable little, like, St. Louis Blues outfit. Oh, my Aww. gosh, she's so cute. Mm-hmm. Her daughter's adorable. So, um, sp- Any specific player? Or is no, it, it, was, it was like a okay. baby outfit. It's a, like, like, like my first fan or something. Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. know. It was cute. But I bought it at Holiday Open House last year. So that's the type of stuff you oh, can good. get if you come. But no, yeah. well, I'll be there. When's so, that Holiday Open House? Uh, December 8th, December 8th. I think. December 8th. So... Yeah, no, I mean, she's been great. Everyone who've ever worked for at The Realtors, another um, woman was Celeste Reeder. She's now the executive director at the Home Builders Association. She was an awesome mentor for me as well. So I've gotten, uh, you know, been very lucky to work under two very strong, very capable women in public policy. Good. Okay, well, for anyone out there listening, if you have any questions, submit it to podcast at hermanlondon.com. If you have any suggestions on future guests, email the same place. 
Any think, topics you want to hear in particular? We'll yeah, take suggestions on those as well. Exactly. And so I guess that's it. Thank you very much and take care.